Yeah. I wanna be a billionaire. Uh, I ain't getting no sleep nah. till I see a milli every week. Yeah. I wanna be a billionaire. Uh, I ain't getting no sleep nah. till I see a billy every week. Uh, I wanna be a billionaire. Billionaire. I wanna be a billionaire. Billionaire. I wanna be a Ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Sleep is for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas. Now today, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat. I got a special guest on my show, so take some notes. This gentleman is the founder and CEO of Holiday Swap. He also holds the Guinness World Record for youngest male to travel all 196 countries at what age? 25. Ladies and gentlemen, James Asquith. What's going on, King? Thanks for having me, man. Thanks oh for having me. Oh my God, bro. You said 26? 20, 25. 25, yeah. bro. You know what I was doing at 25? It wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, damn. But that's awesome to hear, man. I'm, I mean, shit. I want to start off with how'd you do it, but we got to start at the very beginning, man. But just to let the people know, this show is about getting insider information for those looking to be in your position. So you as an entrepreneur, I want you to shed light on your whole journey and more so how you kept that entrepreneurial mindset along the way and how you dealt with the obstacles that you've encountered, because I'm sure you've encountered them. Every single day still. You know right. what it's like? Every day there's more obstacles, right? But that's what makes it fun. That's what rewards it. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Okay, exactly, exactly my point. So let's start from the beginning, brother. Where are you from? London, born okay. just south of London. Mm-hmm. Um, they demolished the hospital the day after I was born. Side note, maybe that explains a lot about me now yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, why I might be slightly weird. But <laughs> <laughs> So right. yeah, no, born and raised in London. I spent 28 years there. Eventually, mm. I just wanted to, wanted to get out. But pretty humble family. Mm. Don't really come from money. You know, my parents gave me everything. They just gave me and my sister an education. Right. That's what they gave me. They worked damn hard for it. That's cool. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I was around a bunch of people at school that at 15, 16 years old, they're all looking at what first car they're going to get and they're putting their specs on this car and their parents are buying them cars. And I just, I didn't have that. Mm. I remember my mum turned around to me and said, James, like, we can't get you a car. I can give you 200 pounds. So, like, you know, 250 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you don't even have to do that. Like, you've done everything for me. My parents always did. But I saw that from an early age and I almost saw some elements of entitlement from people and how it was easy. Mm. And I never had this, right? And I didn't have it hard. Like mm-hmm. I came from, you know, a, a lower middle class background um, and, and I had put everything I wanted. But, you know, my, my parents almost uh, ran out of money at a, when I was a pretty like, 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember going up and down the street with my best friend washing cars. Right. Had this little glass bowl and I brought it to my mum and said, Hey mum, this is gonna help. There was maybe 150 bucks in there. Right. She had a tear in her eye and she said, No, James, we'll set up a bank account for you. Mm. And it was in the days where you had the, the little stamp of the number in the book, right? right? So I saw this and a number next to my name and I thought, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So from then, I mean, at 15 years old, I had three jobs, I was working whatever I could. I worked as a as a bar back, I worked uh, in an events company, I worked at a cricket stadium, mm. um, just doing three jobs and just saving and saving and saving, doing whatever I could. Uh, by 17, I set up an events business just before I started uh, started college. Nice. And I just had this ambition to, I just wanted to buy a house. That mm-hmm. was it for every, I wanted a big house. Mm-hmm. That was my definition of success. Success, right. So, you know, we went on one holiday a year, didn't really do any traveling, and, and I just saw this money kind of being saved up in some ways. Mm-hmm. Financial crisis, banks collapse, and uh, yeah. I... All of my money that I had in savings, I split between three banks mm. in stocks mm-hmm. at the lows to the decimal point. Right? right within two weeks, I tripled my money. Awesome. Took it out, thought it was the top, put it into some mining stocks and some oil stocks. Again, doubled it. I thought I was an absolute rock star. Yeah, Honestly, yeah, yeah. like I was untouchable. Right, right. That's right. Uh, 
it, I ended up losing about 90% of that in the end. And that's a good life lesson along the way. Right, right? Absolutely. Because I don't know how it turned out. Maybe I'd have just thought that that was the inevitable be all and end all. Look how much money I have. Look how many cars I have and houses. But you know, I remember putting a bid on a, on a house at 18 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and I still had all my money in shares. Mm. And everything I turned touched to gold. I was like, I am untouchable. So this guy calls me up. I had no idea what I was doing with, mm. the, with the housing market. And he calls me up after a week. And he says, hey, James, are, we, you know, are you going to close this off? And uh, and I kept it all in shares still. I thought, but there's no way it's going to go down. Right. Like, I look and it's down 15% the entire portfolio. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, it's fine because I'm untouchable. Next day, down another 10%, another 15%, another 10 just like crap the bed. Um, and that was a good life lesson. But look, I had a bit of that money left over. And um, my two best friends went out to Vietnam. I think I was 18 at the time now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to go out there do some traveling. I had no interest in it. I thought I'd just go out there, have some fun. You know, if I met 18 year old James now going around Thailand and Vietnam, I would not like 18 year old James. But then <laughs> a lot of us probably wouldn't, right? I'm just naive oh, I would hate my 18 year old self. But I think most of us would, right? And, yeah. you know, I learned and it sounds cliche, but I started traveling and booked that, after that trip, I went on my first solo trip and I started spending the money I had left on, on traveling. Mm. Um, I had no intention to go to every country in the world. I just wanted to see it. I wanted to go to the Middle East and South America and yeah. see what, like, it was culture shock for me. And uh, yeah, it was it was a better education than I had. So, you know, I remember my second year of college, I did an economics and maths degree because mm. I wanted to go into investment banking and finance. Okay. From when I was trading shares to start, and I thought, this is the job for me because I'm so good at it. Yeah, apparently. exactly. Um, <laughs> I certainly wasn't. But, it's, uh, you know, so I, I, I did that and, and I was going around the world and doing this traveling working as I went along, you know, self-funded it all. And I get a lot of people now that turn around to me and say, oh, do you know someone that will sponsor a trip? The Instagram generation of that. And yeah. I disagree with that massively. I'm like, you know what? Either pay for yourself or just because you're taking a picture and editing it, it doesn't mean that that's value. It doesn't mean that that converts to something. I think we live in a pretty dangerous point at the moment. But at, at the same time, I think that genuinely people are understanding that that might not be a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, you want something, go work for it. Um, mm-hmm. and Don't expect it. So, you know, I, I kept traveling. I, I loved what I was seeing. My second year of university, I remember I was in the big lecture hall in an economics lecture and all of my group of buddies, they're saying, oh, let's go to this bar. And I was like, well, I had a great first year at right. university, but this sounds like it's going to be exactly the same. Mm. And I was like, that's cool, but I don't want to do this for three years. So I remember closing up my book like 20 minutes into lecture one of the year. Mm. I just went to Heathrow Airport and I left. Nine months. Wow. Like I left. I didn't go to a single class or lecture or... It's fine. I got got the degree now. It's okay. But, you know, I I, I came back seven weeks before exams and I slept in the library. Now, I literally slept in the library. There was a beanbag. There was a shower in there. I lived in the library and caught up on the whole year in seven weeks. Managed to pass it all. But, you know, I I loved the fact that I was in this mindset of I don't have to just sit here. I can do it all. I can make money. I can see the world. Mm -hmm. And I can still do what I need to do, which is ticking off a box and getting this degree. Now, I don't necessarily think a degree is right for everyone. I didn't learn, like the smartest I think I ever was was when I was 18. Right. Like I was working hard at the end of school and then went to college, but you know, it's it's maths and economics. Like mm. it wasn't really applicable to the real world. It just, it was more and more complex to show that you could do this because that's what they want in investment banking. Right. But it didn't actually teach me anything I use in real life today. The mm-hmm. traveling did, like the traveling taught me so much of skills, like interpersonal skills, how to react with people, how to interact with people mm-hmm. so you know I, I kept doing that and I, I don't know the time where I thought hey I want to go to every country but uh, I've probably been to maybe 120 countries and I thought 
how many are there? So, <laughs> you know, I, I started looking and, and by the time I was 22, I started working in investment banking and then I left out like the more expensive countries. You mm. had to go like buy a visa and a letter of invitation. And, you know, going to some countries in Central Africa, for example, like Chad, is not cheap because right. it's not set up for tourism. Right. There's one hotel that offers you relative safety. Getting around there is super expensive because there's just no tourist network. Mm. So I started knocking a few of these off. I had a good boss who uh, actually turned out to be the first investor in our company in Holly Spot. But he said to me, he just said, look, James, just make sure you do it. Mm. And and in a in an industry where you know, people don't have time off and they're working so hard. Yeah. That was amazing because, you know, I was able to earn a decent amount of money at that point and pay off credit card debt I got into to do all this traveling. Mm. Um, and I guess it's a big lesson in terms of finding the right people around you, right? There was right. there was almost a choice of what kind of desk I worked on for trading and, and I just got on very, very well with this guy. Mm. And I guess that's a, that's a life lesson that we all live by as well, right? Because even without that and without so many different things, things would have turned out, I guess, very differently for me at this point. Mm. Um, but you know, I wasn't the I wasn't the most professional worker in investment banking. Like I like to have a laugh, and it was it was one of the most frustrating industries. And you know, this is that's for damn sure. You take two steps forward and literally two steps back. You know, you can walk home on a Friday and think you're a rock star, and you can walk home the next Friday and just think, oh god, this is you know the this worst the, thing. Yeah. Um, and it's so kind of intertwined by the fact that it is purely the amount of money on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't matter, you can work your absolute ass off for weeks and just mm -hmm. have the wrong side of the trade and just be losing, losing, losing. And you think, you know what, like, maybe there's more to this than, than just kind of sitting here because you're not, you're not building blocks, you're not progressing, right? And in a lot of businesses and industries that you can look at now, even if you're having tough times of it, you still feel like you might be progressing. And if you're gonna put the hard work in, it's gonna pay off. Mm. Whereas with this industry, you can put hard work in and it's not necessarily going to pay off. Like if you make right. a wrong decision, it's done. Yeah. So like, you know, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd, I got the world record, I got to every country, which was great. And I was still sitting in investment banking, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, was, was, was good money and it was difficult to walk away from and, and leave. Right. Um, but at that point, I knew I kind of wanted to do something in travel. I just didn't know what it was. Mm. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of turning around and saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want mm. a startup just for the sake of it. And you know, you hear and read so many things of, of people say you can be your own boss and you can do this, which is great. Yeah, so Very many appealing, people can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if it's the right thing, you've got to have that passion. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. You've got to be able to wake up and 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 you know, I, I would put so many more hours into what I do now than I ever would when I was working for someone else or in, in banking because it's something I'm passionate about. So look, I wanted to do something travel, I didn't know what it was. Mm. Um I guess my unofficial job then and now is to inspire people to travel and say, look, you know, you can do it at a decent cost. You can work hard and there's ways to get around the world. Flight tickets are 50% cheaper relatively than they were in 1982. Mm. So that is, it, it's easier than ever to get around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I remember going to a place called with, with one of my good buddies. I was between two jobs and I started my final job in investment bank. I headhunted at this job and I already knew that basically they were going to be paying my bills whilst I started the company, right. you know, until it was the point where we were self-sufficient enough that I could walk away from that. Mm -hmm. um, but my mind was in wanting to do something else. Uh, and I went to a place called Cluj Napoca with okay. one of my buddies. Ever heard of it? No. No, neither did I. Had no <laughs> idea. It was 10 euros to fly there from London. I thought, this place sounds strange. Let's go there. Yeah, right, it's yeah. this little town in Romania, in Transylvania, and it was voted the European youth capital because it's got six colleges there. Really young population. Oh, okay. 
and um, yeah, I could tell you a few stories that were, uh, but anyway, uh, well, is I it it off the camera maybe? Yes. Is it off, is it off the camera? No, it's, it's camera? not that bad. Okay, it's, okay. it's not too bad. Okay, so I, I, we met a group of girls out there and Ooh, they were- I like it already. <laughs> you know, they called themselves the MILFs of Cluj. Oh, yes. They were 23 years old. Like that's how young this city is as an illustration, basically. Oh, wow. Everyone's super young there. And you know, there's this energy of everyone's young, outgoing, they want to do stuff. And so, you know, we, we sat there and speaking to a bunch of people in the town, it's beautiful in summer. And um, people keep saying, hey, I want to go to London. A lot of people say they want to go to London, right? Similar to want to go to LA or New York, like big cities. Mm -hmm. And I take this optimistic approach. I say, well, look, we flew there for 10 euros. It's so cheap, you can go to London. The same thing kept coming up, which it wasn't the flights, it was the accommodation. Mm. You know, homestay platforms are almost the same cost as hotels now in the US. No one wants to really stay in a hostel anymore. I, I stayed in hostels when I backpacked around South America a lot because it was a good way to meet people. Right. But with technology now, you don't need to go and stay in a shared dormitory where someone's blow drying their hair at 4 a.m. that exactly. doesn't care. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, I thought, look, my place is empty in London while I'm here. I would come back to this cool place I've never heard of before. Like, they could have been staying at my place while I was here. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, why not create a true sharing economy platform that allows people to match up swap their places, host in other people's places and not exchange money. You know, it's called the travel Tinder because by Business Insider, because it is a case of you're matching up with what you're happy to match up with. Now, what's the difference between your company and Airbnb? Because it sounds a little similar. There's just no cost. So okay. it's a case of you are using, so, it, it, you know, say you're working your ass off on your rent out here in LA mm -hmm. and you want to go over to New York and you're going to go and stay in an Airbnb there. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you put your place on Airbnb here, which, mm -hmm. you know, if you sub, if you rent, it's subletting and you can't do, mm -hmm. then you're, you're paying your rent here and then you're paying over the top accommodation prices over wherever you're going or whenever you're on holiday. Whereas with Holiday Swap, it's a dollar a night, that's a platform fee. And it's basically, so it's as close to free as it could be. If you subscribe, which is 60 bucks a year, then it's unlimited for the year. And it is essentially your place, your room, your house, your villa, your condo, whatever you have, is your ticket to go travel the world because mm -hmm. that's what you're paying for where you're staying with essentially. Now you can swap with people directly. You know, that's it. We find a lot of people match up and, and make a community. So we find people want to have like a place they can stay in Paris and Berlin, Milan, Cape Town, Sydney. And then they might say, hey, end of 2020, here's a good flight deal. I want to go and stay with someone. And then they look at who they match with. And when you match with someone, you can start chatting to them. Like oh, yeah. auto trade, you can match with someone in Tokyo and it translates into their language and Japanese oh, wow. to English. So. Um, you know, we, we put a lot of time and, and money into creating a platform that really works to make a community. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, your profile is your your place and that's your ticket to go travel and essentially not spend money like on Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of core of, of what we do. We're growing pretty quickly now. We're in 185 countries. So, um, yes, you know, it's again, and, and I'm sure you think the same. It's, it, I never feel like I can take a congratulations for it because I feel like there's so much more to do. I'm sure there is. Yeah. You know, if you look at for, for what we do on a, on a truly global scale, because we are taking out the biggest cost of travel, which is accommodation, mm -hmm. it means that we cater and appeal to everyone. If you right. have a four-bed villa in Miami and you want to go match and swap with a five-bed villa with a pool in the Bahamas, cool, yeah. you probably do. Um, you know, if you've got a, a one bed in, in LA and want to go stay in a cool one bed in the Bay in San Fran, cool. Like, and so if you look at Indonesia and the Philippines as just an example, that's two countries, half a billion people in mm. two countries, low cost airlines out there, super cheap to get around. But, you know, we are in their catchment because mm. of what we offer as a more frugal platform to be able to genuinely be a marketplace for someone's home. 
So, you know, it's it's not like a traditional company or consumer company that's actually saying to someone, hey, open up your wallet, get your credit card out. We're offering you this product for X amount. Right. We're saying you've already got the product. Mm-hmm. Like we're the marketplace, like use it to go and save money. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, yeah, you know, I kind of see it like a headless chicken thinking literally the world is our target. Yeah, and that's yeah, what we're yeah. growing. But um, yeah, it's, you know, that sounds certainly, that's kind of the, I guess, in a, in a roundabout story, the, mm-hmm. the, the nutshell of, of what we are and where we've got to. But uh yeah, it's uh, it came with a lot of challenges along the yeah, way. I was about to say, what was my next question? What, what challenges have you overcame? With this? I mean, at the start, it was a case of you know two and a half, three years of just growing this platform everywhere and anywhere, mm. and it's a case of we had to have a lot of patience from from users because you know when you go on there and you have two houses, three houses, even a hundred thousand houses, like it's not really enough. If you're gonna, if you are hypothetically searching for the world and you think, hey, tomorrow I want to look at Bali or Thailand or whatever it is. You know, we had to be everywhere. So at the very start, you know, the amount of doors that closed on us, mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a position where I didn't have to rely on that and have to right. open on people, you know, rely on people opening doors for us, which is why, sure, the company's three years old, but realistically, before it was even an idea, the company started eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when I was working my ass off in banking, like that money was going towards being able to start this company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at a point where I didn't need to go and raise capital to start with because I'd done that over, you know, working hard for an amount of years mm-hmm. to be in that position. Um, it, it when it, you know, you, your reputation is another thing that like goes into it. And again, that's not three years old. Mm-hmm. That is, it's, it's that old cliche. Over your lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that we've worked with and partnered because hopefully we do things in the right way and we've got a good enough reputation that, that people see, yeah, one, we're trying to solve a problem and we're not asking you to spend money. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, like we're trying to do things in the right way. Like mm-hmm. I value like my reputation, our company's reputation more than making money. Mm-hmm. The money is the side point of it, right? And I think right. too many people are too quick to do this. And this is why I avoided VCs. And I'm sure a lot of people with a, with a startup and a business will instantly try and go to VCs. Mm-hmm. I personally say, don't waste your time. I think VCs are, are mostly idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry for any VCs listening. There are some great ones out there. We've got a couple that have invested with us, but on a level that they understood what we were doing. Because so why the, do you say some of them are idiots? It's groupthink, right? And I largely used to do that job. So mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I think I'm, I'm better than them or I understand it better than them. It means that I used to do that job and I know full well that I didn't understand it. And the people <laughs> working with me didn't understand it either. Right. So you, at VCs, what you have is you have an issue right now where a lot of them are losing money. A lot of them on an individual level. If you stop for a second and you think from the outside, most people look at them like, oh, VC, they're going to invest. They've got the stacks of cash. This is what's going to support and grow our business. Mm-hmm. But if you stop for a second and you think the guy making that decision in a VC has a job there and they have such small margins of losses before they are themselves fired mm-hmm. because they're not playing around largely with their own money. Yeah. That's investors' money that they turn around and they're also raising capital mm-hmm. and saying to people, oh, we can give you 8 9% returns. So that's also a job from them. And so these guys are protecting themselves in this bubble of they think that metrics translate to success. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with it largely. So you're always going to hear straight away. And I heard this at a speech the other day. Mm. What's your revenue? What's your revenue? What's your predictions? What's your financial forecasts? Right. And I say to people when they ask me for my financial forecast, coming from doing an economics and maths degree and coming from banking, I'm like, they're like, where do you get your forecast from? And I say straight up, I made them up. Like they're entirely made up because that is exactly what forecast is, especially for a young company. Yeah. I'm like, if you think that a forecast is, you know, I could say any damn number I want 
And yeah. I can either overly impress and then I'm going to disappoint because I'm not going to make that number. Mm. Or I'm going to see something that I think is realistic and obtainable and you're not going to think it's good enough. So what the hell is the point, right? Exactly. And Might as well shoot for the stars, right? But yeah. revenue doesn't translate to success. Mm. And you see that with so many companies because you know a guy with a hot dog stand in Manhattan is going to make more revenue on day one than a multi-billion dollar company potentially. Doesn't right. mean that that business is scalable and it doesn't mean it's defensible. Mm -hmm. So the problem you have with VCs and private equity sometimes is they're removing the value of brand founder vision. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that when you find people that will back you, and largely the biggest backer of that is gonna be yourself. Right. When you find that and you're not gonna give up when times get hard, that is what is absolutely imperative to it. Because yeah, sure, there's probably been a couple of times where I threw my laptop down, I thought, screw this. <laughs> all the time. I, I kid you not, yeah, it, it, it lasted maybe 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, James, what are you doing? Get mm -hmm. on with it. Like, you know, stop being such a baby. But it's it's a case of if you've got that, and because no one else, very few people are gonna back that and back you and your vision and what you're gonna get to. So you need to understand that that's your biggest value. Yeah, sure, everyone and most companies need that capital and that cash to be able to start. If you gotta raise that yourself to start with until you can turn around and say, well, look, this is the brand, this is the vision we're doing, but this is also some kind of proof of concept that I have. This mm -hmm. is how we're growing. Then you're gonna have people wanting to back it. You know, we have now a lot of the people that close doors on us are, are knocking on those doors again. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't say I kind of like that hindsight and yeah. hate to say I told you so, but <laughs> it, it, it's a case of, you know, choose who you get into bed with, like in terms right. of partners, investors. And if you have that team that's going to support you as well, it's it's that's another big problem, right? right. I've got a great team that work with us, um, but that's come through trial and error. You know, right. And that's, that's something that's never perfected either. So... It's difficult, right? You know, it's yeah, you got to be selective with who you work with. And make sure you put the right, the qualified people in the right position. And my rule, rule number one: don't hire your friends. <laughs> so you know what? I actually disagree with that. Oh really? Okay. So yeah, I Tell actually me. disagree with that. My Tell CTO, me. I've known the guy twenty three years. Okay. Uh, my personal assistant is my sister. Well, of course. Now, if they're qualified, then of course. But it always boils down to are they qualified? So in Continue. a way, yes. So my CTO, for example, like there were a lot of elements of being a chief technical officer he didn't understand. He came mm -hmm. from a tech background. He designed and like built websites, but large parts of the app side he didn't necessarily understand. Now. I put so much value on loyalty and motivation from people, mm -hmm. right? Like I love, like, you know, my assistant, there were elements of the job she didn't really, she had to just learn and get a grip with at the start. But what is amazing is the trust and the loyalty I have there. Mm -hmm. And I know that she's got my back. I know our CTO has my back. Like mm -hmm. I know that those people, but I do agree there are some elements where you don't work with friends and family, but I do also think that there's some where it's, Maybe get better friends and family. Um, that, that's it. That's it. If you can't ha work with your friends, then you, you got the wrong set of friends. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like a key thing about your network as well. And, and the, you know, the kind of people that you hang around with and, and what you're going to build because they do motivate you and push you on. Right. Right. If, if, if we're always hanging out and every time I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, let's go down to the bar again. Right. And we yeah. turn around and we start wasting five, six hours every day in a bar. Like I like going to the bar as much as the next person. Right. But, you know, that can't be like your consistent life that you're around because it's it's time. Um, same reason I don't watch Netflix or box sets or stuff. Yeah. I don't have time for it. So I don't have time for it either, man. Wise man once told me you're around nine broke people. You're going to be the 10th one. That's a good way of looking at it. And then once I heard that, I'm like, no more broke friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely understand. Well, that's good, man. So do you have, do you have a exit strategy with this uh, company? Um, yes, in my head. Mm. Uh, sometimes I speak about it, but, you know, I don't really try and look at that in terms of, I do think we're disrupting 
what we're doing. We're disrupting the industry as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that also too many companies are built in terms of wanting to be bought out and acquired. Right. But at the end of the day, who's acquiring these guys, right? It's not bottomless pits of money. Mm -hmm. So create your own brand and your own company mm -hmm. because, you know, you look back and Google could have been acquired by Yahoo, right? right? And Yahoo didn't want to buy them for a billion dollars. They said right. a billion dollars, that's overvalued. Mm -hmm. Google came back to them two years later in what, 2003 and said, you can buy us for five billion. And Yahoo were like, no, absolutely not. Right. Way overvalued. You know, now obviously the rest is history. You got a trillion dollar company and then Yahoo got bought by Verizon Wireless. Um, but the point is, it's a case of, you know, I don't tend to look in terms of who would buy us, who would exit. Sure, like, do we want to go public and IPO at some point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we're just doing what we're doing at the moment. We're just growing. We've got, you know, our motivation and ambition is to make travel cheap. We know that everything else comes with just working hard, like really hard yeah. and continuing to grow. Um, everything else is just, you know, kind of noise in the background. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that um, that evolves. You know, we know that our valuation is increasing as, as our users and our, our you know, our, our marketplace is increasing. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, like I've never really been too motivated by money because it is a means to be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, I travel around all the time. It's sometimes exhausting, like lots of back-to-back -back meetings. Um, yeah. What's your favorite place to be? Hawaii is one of them. Hawaii yeah. is up there. I love Hawaii because it's got, it's that perfect mix of island life and city life. Mm -hmm. And everyone likes island life for a bit yeah. until Especially, you come from uh, a city. Uh, Honolulu. Yeah, exactly. Like mm -hmm. so when you come from a city, you're in island time and you think this is great, but like you kind of miss the, the buzz. The space, Whereas yeah. Honolulu is a, a decent sized city. It's like two and a half million people. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these great restaurants and bars and stuff to do, but you go 10 minutes outside the city, you've got a beach to yourself. You can yeah. go and climb mountains to yourself. Or surf. So you've got, yeah, you've got the best of both worlds, I think. So, I'm going to be there in a, in, in a week and mm -hmm. just working remotely from out there, which is quite nice to kind of reset. But again, that's, you know, in terms of the exit strategy that you say, what am I going to do? Go and sit on a beach the rest of my life? Yeah. If I really want, I can do that. Right. Like I've structured this in terms of, you know, I'm able to just kind of go and work remotely, hop around if I want to. And I love getting up in the morning. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing that I can think of that's worse than me waking up in the morning and counting a stack of cash and thinking, oh, you know, let me, you know, take my Lambo out for a ride. Right. It's, I mean, that's great and all, but it doesn't do it for me. Nah, yeah, it's boring. And, right. and it's going to cost you money. You got to pay to drive. Your car's <laughs> depreciating. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You got to eat. You know what I'm saying? So all that, that whole shit's going to uh, make you spend money. But, um, okay. So now with all this work that you do and all these places you've been, I mean, it sounds like you're going to go, 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 go. Even the way you talk, you're just a million miles an yeah. hour. When does it stop? When do you chill? When do you unwind? Because it sounds like you don't. I don't. I really don't. Maybe on a plane sometimes. That's not really unwinding. I mean, you, well, I, I, I like, I'm not really materialistic. Yeah, cocktail and business class is not unwinding. <laughs> for me, it is. Like, you okay. like you go on like a 16-hour flight. I look at eight, nine-hour okay, flights yes. now and I think, what a pathetic and short flight. <laughs> but like, you know, when, when you go on, like, if you see some of these things like on Singapore Airlines with the closing door, double bed suites and stuff, like, for me, okay. that's where I, like, spend more air miles and stuff or, you know, money if I find a cheap fare. But all of my friends tell me, like, James... You wear such shit clothes, get some new clothes. Like, I'm not materialistic. Yeah. You know, I haven't owned a watch for several years. Um, so that's the one thing that kind of I look forward to. I get excited. But airports in general, you get me to an airport now. If you told me right after this, I'm heading to the airport, which I'm, I am tomorrow. Mm. But, you know, I get excited. I love it. You're in a room full of 
people that are going all around the world to all different places. Everyone's got a story why they're going somewhere. I find it so exhilarating and exciting as a place because yeah. everyone's doing something different that day. That same room of people are going to end up at different places. Right. So yeah, I like being on a plane. Um, that's actually usually when I get a decent sleep and I have to run around to meetings. Right. I'm 37,000 feet away from everyone's bullshit. No, that uh, makes sense. That makes sense. So in your, in your line of work, so that would be the only time to rest. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's just about like small recharges here and there, like staying for four or five days, maybe like not having a schedule of meetings and just doing it working remotely because this is it's a passion. So but there really isn't too much of a a turndown time, even Christmas Day this year just gone. uh, And I don't see my family as much as I'd like to, but uh, I I fly them around and meet me in various places now, Mm -hmm. which is nice to do. Um, but even my family was saying, you, you know, you've just like cracked out eight hours of work on Christmas Day. Right. Um, you're gonna come join us. Uh, so it. it it feels like you know, like someone might be playing a, a video game or like going and watching Netflix. For me, that's kind of how it is. I feel like there's building blocks that we're always putting in place. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, there was five years working in London in an office in investment banking, getting up every day at five thirty a.m. Right, which are the foundations to this. But five years that went by so quickly. Because it was the same thing over and over. Like right. It was too much of a routine. Um, and routine can be good in some ways, but also routine can be a killer for what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Like, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah. like those road bumps along the way like can be a blessing because it makes you, you, you get too much into even a positive routine. Mm-hmm. It does make you see it and appreciate it. Right. It'd be boring if it was too easy. I'm telling you, bro. <laughs> I mean, I'd like some things to be a bit easier, but yeah. you know... Uh, as long as it's contributing contributing to the ultimate goal that's all that matters absolutely man. but like I was saying man you know it, you gotta take that time relax and chill man cause you'll find yourself burnt out even if you're so passionate at what you're doing you, you're gonna feel that crash at one point you know yeah, what I'm saying someone once said that to me 10 years ago mm-hmm. so we're 10 years on I'm doing alright yeah, um, well, hey we'll, man we'll, you're we'll, still young so. we'll see we'll see yeah that's cool. So how does that take a toll on your uh, like your love life for all this traveling? Like, do you even have a significant other at this time? Yeah, it's it, it's it's decent because I'm able to kind of be super remote around the world. Like I was just casually looking today at a flight over to back to the Middle East mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks because my schedule's changed around again. And that is about as far away as you can fly from here, anywhere right. in the world. And it just kind of seems easy for me. I'm like, oh yeah, I can make that happen. Right. Um so in terms of that, yeah, I'm 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 able to it's great that most places I go, I can link up with friends. Like I have, you know, people I know around the world. Like, yeah, I have, you know, a partner that I see a lot. So mm-hmm. um, it, it works and it's exciting. Um, it's exciting because I'm somewhere for a few days and then I, I leave. No, and, was, uh, you know, I, and I go and do something else. <laughs> really I, see, I see them somewhere else. So like, so it, it, it just works for me. It, it really does kind of, it fuels me right. to be able to do that. So yeah, so it sounds like you kind of... Gym is the problem. Going to the gym is the problem. Because I get into routines where like, you know, back in November, I felt in good shape. Like, you know, I I was out in Indonesia and, you know, I barely had a drink for a month as well. Mm. Just going to the gym, being in a routine and and that worked. So that for me was like a big reset. That resets me for like six months. Yeah. And then like constantly being on the road. But, uh, you know, now I haven't been to the gym for probably a month and a half and I'm feeling it. I'm like walking down the street. I'm like, I feel like I'm out of breath. Yeah, you don't feel that pump. No yeah, way. exactly. That so that's uh, that's that's honestly the biggest problem is is the, the eating and the, the, the gym. Yeah. Um, because like you just eat on these trips, but you're not really burning anything. Right, but it's also just sometimes eating absolute crap, right? Oh, it's yeah, not what yeah, you yeah. want to eat. Um, you know, there was a day where I, I, was, I was doing eight, nine meetings over in 
Dubai and Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And there were some days at 5 p.m. where I hadn't even had a drop of water or a coffee. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that's in some ways first world problems. I'm going to get some water and some food at some point. But, you know, I'm thinking, when am I having my next meal? And then I sometimes have the problem of yesterday, for example, had had a lunch meeting. Mm -hmm. And then the next meeting I rocked up to also turned out to be a lunch meeting. So I'm sat there. And so some days I'm like not eating at all. Other days I'm eating so much. Um, so that's yeah, that's definitely the biggest issue. It's like getting that kind of routine, but yeah. gotcha. Well, I mean, it'd be like that sometimes. And you'll man. see me running down the beach in in Hawaii in a week. The, I'll be the I'll be the guy that's out of breath, leaning against a palm tree after after like twenty meters. Yeah, after twenty meters in Hawaii. Oh yeah, don't feel sorry. For <laughs> no, that's cool, man. So tell me, um, you know, what type of marketing strategies did you utilize to kind of get this following that you've obtained? Like on social media, I see you had a million followers. Congratulations. Some people are bending over backwards, paying all this money to try to get in, and they're not hitting the lick. So explain how you did it. Well, it's it's super difficult now. I get asked this by so many people each day. Um, I think that in terms of, uh, you know, I, I've been in the press quite a bit. You know, I've, you know, I feature them just chatting about travel and stuff like CNN or you name it or tons of articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people, will, if, if it's to be believed what I get a lot of messages for, people like the fact that I don't sell anything. I don't do paid sponsored posts. Uh, I did one with an airline. That was the last time I did a paid sponsored post. It was about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was on this flight and the crew, like the crew for me, it doesn't matter if the seat's okay or average or like, you know, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everything can be solved if the crew is good. And most of the time crew is are great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I speak to crew so much because I basically, <laughs> bless you. Thank you. You know, I basically live on planes. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I love speaking to the crew and I find it exciting. I'm like, hey, where are you going next? Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular crew on this flight were just so rude, like barking at like children and families. Yeah. And I remember emailing the, the this airline. I said, you know what? Keep your money. I, I, you know, I'll send it back to you. I'm, I'm not promoting something that I think is this trashy yeah, exactly. and awful. Yeah, and since then, I just it. said, you know what? Like, I want to be able to say what I like, what I don't like. Um, and there's so many things on social media that are walking adverts. And it's cringeworthy in some senses. But I think everyone gets now... What is an advert? It's like, oh, here I am randomly using this cool CBD product or this random face cream that I'm never actually going to use. No, no, no. Um, but I got it paid a couple of hundred bucks for it. And it's sellout. And in the sense of people know that I say what I like and what I don't like. Mm. So hopefully there's like kind of decent value that comes with that. And, you know, I, I don't know, looking back, it's I think about a year and a half ago. Uh, I'd had a few too many drinks on a flight. Oh, and uh, basically as part of a holiday swap uh, promotion as well, I said, hey, all you have to do is sign up for free. Like we're trying to save you money on that. Mm-hmm. And I gave away all my air miles, which was, you know, enough to probably fly around the world three to five times in first class. Yeah. So I did this, then passed on the flight, woke up in the morning. I was like, oh, it was a uh, LA to Sydney flight. So it was 16 hour time difference and 17 hour flight. Yeah. And so I wake up and I'm like, oh God, that was maybe too many air miles to give them all away. <laughs> and I wake up and my phone's blown up. I've got like, you know, come on the Ellen DeGeneres show and the Steve Harvey show. And like, what? it's just been replicated. I'm like, oh damn. <laughs> You know, but that's a good problem to have. But it's, it, you know, that was great to see as well because a, a lot of people turned around and said, "Oh, maybe you could split them up and not just give them to one person." I said, "Well, that's not the point of it. Like, you know, I'm not some kind of prize giveaway expert. I don't know how to do yeah, it. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I just made it up as I went along." But the point is, to enter, people had to say where they want to go, mm. uh, and so the amount of amazing messages, like we had, like hundreds of thousands of entries for it. The amount of people that were like, oh, I've, I've never left the US, for example, never been on a plane, but like, I want to go here and here and here. Mm. And the point was the mentality and the mindset of you saying, well, you know what? Like, yeah, you didn't win, 
But look at all those places where you've got in your head that you could be going. Now go do it. Mm-hmm. Now go work hard and go do it. Right. Like, yeah, sure, there's there's stuff that holds a lot of us back and there's difficult things that we all face that no one knows our individual troubles. But, you know, hell, you can go and say, I am not spending a penny for several weeks and I am working my ass off for several weeks in a second job, even after your first job, to make that money to buy a flight ticket and go somewhere. Or it doesn't even have to be a flight ticket. It could be whatever you want to do, right? I want to mm-hmm. get that new iPhone. I want to do whatever but go and work hard and do it. And that was kind of, that was great to be able to see. So yeah, in, in that sense, there's lots of stuff. The, the problem is with Instagram as well and building up a following when I get asked is it's it's simplistic human mentality, right? Mm. Anything in this world that looks easy gets overcrowded to the point where the bubble bursts. Mm. This goes back to tulip mania in Holland, right? When people mm. thought a tulip was worth thousands of dollars. Right. This was like 200 years ago, right? right? People were leaving their jobs mm. to go and pick tulips mm. because there was a, a rumor that got out of how valuable they were. And then you go back like five, six years ago and you have Bitcoin where, you know, people are getting encouraged. Like, again, this is a different topic. Mm, you know, as, as someone that, that likes to look at value and stuff from being a trader, mm. do I think that crypto had a value? Yeah, sure. Mm. But like when you're getting the retail market encouraged with, your everyday Joe who drives a taxi and you get these little stories that you see published saying, oh, Joe got paid on a Bitcoin 10 years ago and now he's a trillionaire, mm. you know, and, and it, it's it's playing on like a lottery. People thinking, oh, I could get really lucky. And so the bubble starts to burst. You have fintech in some ways, which is the same, even like the cannabis industry to an extent. And Instagram's another one with influencers mm-hmm. because people see and they hear these stories of, you know, someone goes and takes a nice picture and travels around the world. And you see these adverts of people that are getting you to pay for their courses, right? Don't believe any of that rubbish because right. they're making money from it. And at the end of the day, not everyone can do it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It's unfortunately not a case of, yeah, you go and do something extraordinary, but not everyone can be extraordinary because then it becomes the ordinary. And that's the same with being a social media influencer. Right. Everyone wants to gain followers, but everyone thinks they're doing it in the same way by, you know, posting some really cool, pretty content, like, mm-hmm. you know, in an infinity pool in Bali. How many times have we seen that? How many times have you seen an overwater villa in the Maldives? Yeah. Like, everyone's seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Name me one of them. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? And also the people that are promoting them are not going to go and spend 15,000 bucks a night on them. Like, you know, you're showing off Wonderlust, which is great, mm-hmm. but when everyone's trying to do this, it basically becomes ordinary. So, you know, it's it's about being unique and finding either your own niche or finding. So again, someone pointed out to me the other day. Um, oh, what is it called? A page called Influencers in the Wild, mm-hmm. right? And again, people can't grow their Instagram followings, but this account's just rocketed up right, right, right. because people understand and relate to seeing so much of this perfection nonsense and it's positive toxicity in some Mm -hmm. ways positive toxicity is not a good thing Mm -hmm. you know if you're saying my life is perfect all the time i have the best life you know all that you all that you see as a consumer of that quick disposable content is i'm a failure they're good right and and that's not how it should be and i do really feel like now there's kind of a bit of a paradigm shift towards people wanting that element of reality and they want to hear you know what like what really went wrong Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to sit here and say, oh, James, like you made money trading shares. Like, no, you know, that last investment that I made, still hold it today. It's down 99.2%. Um, yeah. So the, the anyway. Dow went down 900 points. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, so... Did it, you hear about that? Yeah, of course, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's coming. It's just the start. <sighs> Unfortunately, man. That's a good thing, though. You know, again, like this mm. is... In 2015, when I was trading a, a, a big trading book then, mm-hmm. and uh, and I thought the market should have sold off then. 
Central banks around the world didn't let it happen. They put band-aids all over it. You get the biggest bond buying program in history from the ECB. The Fed comes in, supports markets. Yeah. And this is what I mean, right? About don't think that someone that makes a decision at a VC, for example, is the ultimate decision maker. Mm. You know, I'm sat next to some absolute morons <laughs> who are managing a billion euros of money each. Mm-hmm. And people are sat around and, and data comes out. US, like, pay, you know, pay and non-farm pay data and labor data, unemployment. People are sat there being like, is good data bad data and bad data good data? Mm-hmm. Because the worse that the data was, the more unhealthy the economy, the more the markets rallied. Right. Because then they expected governments and central banks to come in and support markets. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, is someone going to get some element of common sense here? Right. So, you know, it's it's not a bad thing because it's the same as anything. It's not just going to keep going up. Like a healthy correction sell-off is, is healthy. But anyway, that's again another... No, that's Another cool, topic. but it's, it's cool to get to know that because, yeah, you're focused on your business, but you're also diversifying your attention with other investments like stocks. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I ask. I mean, well, shit, I mean, what what, what uh, success have you seen from stocks? Like, what company do you, like, invest in? You don't have to share the whole portfolio. It wouldn't be considered insider. I don't thing. own any stocks now. No? Not one single stock. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. I don't like it at this level. I don't like any of it at this level. No. So uh, I think you've got a consumer debt crisis coming. Um, and, you know, look, it's you just look at the trend over the last four or five years. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's incredible. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, I don't like sitting there and having someone else necessarily managing my money at a company when all companies are thinking you're going to struggle over the next year to two years. Right. Um, so, you know, I, good advice right there. I come from trading bonds. Again, I don't really like commodities. You get all these people that turn around on Instagram and say, oh, I want to trade FX and Forex traders. Like, don't ever, ever listen to that. That's yeah. the biggest. I've been getting a lot of those inquiries. Yeah, they are awful. <laughs> yeah. Because at the end of the day, like, imagine if you if you look at cable, right, which is GBP pounds to dollars, right? Mm. Pounds to dollars is one pound is one dollar thirty. Mm. And that's ranged from about one fifteen to 138 over the last two years. Now you imagine that you catch the bottom of that market and you hit the top perfectly. Imagine that you've done that. What are you making? 15%? Right. So, uh, and that's not the way, right? Because a lot of these people are encouraging you to high frequency trade and go in and go out and go in and go out. But all that happens is you're paying bid offer. So mm-hmm. the reason that they want you to do it is because you're essentially paying them. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to, you know, if something's worth $1 and I buy it off you at 90 cents and I sell it to someone else for $1.10, yeah. like that's how these guys make money. That's how I made money as a trader, mm-hmm. like not on that bigger scale because mm-hmm. I traded bonds, which was a very different product. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I, I think it's such nonsense in terms of people making money from FX, unless you are putting so much money into it mm-hmm. and then a 5% gain becomes actually feasibly oh like i can switch out of that and go into something else but um yeah it's uh stay away from that commodities another difficult one like you know what is the price of gold what is the value of gold doesn't make much sense to me Uh, never has done um so yeah i mean probably if you want to put your money somewhere put it in bonds Mm. U.S. Treasuries. Right, exactly. I mean, look, if the U.S. Treasury is not being repaid, then we've all got much bigger problems. <laughs> exactly. If, if, if that defaults and, you know, U.S. Treasuries, then uh, we'll, we'll likely be uh, fighting with sticks and stones rather than uh, rather than wondering how many how much money you got in Wells Fargo. Right. So. I hear you, man. I hear you. That's what's up, brother. Well, I mean, I'm glad you came on the show today. Thanks you know, this me, is... Man. Yeah, this is this is great. I mean, I learned a lot from you. Just the, just the tenacity you have with your business and the passion that fuels you is just inspiring man you know what i'm saying i definitely want to take sleepers for billionaires and apply those uh 
you know, everything you have within yourself that you can't teach, that you can't buy. And I want to convey that to my audience so they can pursue their dreams and their goals. You know what I'm saying? Because it's possible. And like you said, we're in the year of the entrepreneur. You know, everything's about, you know, be your own boss and all this stuff. But it's about you got to take the appropriate measures. You got to do it the right way. And the fact that you, you know, sacrifice how many years you sacrifice working a nine to five to put yourself in a position to do what you're yeah. doing now is. That's what it's all about. And a lot of people don't think that far ahead. Yeah. They're just thinking to get this check next Friday. Just, yeah. I mean, there is no substitute for hard work. Mm -hmm. I saw the other day some guy outside an airport, mm -hmm. right? And people are going into the smoking area. Um, and this guy is just stood there. I, you know, I think he was homeless, but he's just stood there the whole time walking up to anyone that comes out. Mm -hmm. He's like, lighter. Like, he's like putting a lighter. He's like, he like got a spare dollar. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's great. Like, people come over like a long flight. They don't have a lighter maybe on them. And, uh, right. yeah, and this you guy's turn thinking, it in before yeah, you go to the this, security. This guy's like, I'm hustling for something. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing something different. And he might sit there and make five, ten bucks a day, but he's doing something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the same with, with anything, right? There is no substitute for hard work. And everyone's going to try and knock you down, right? We've all had it tons of times. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have it again. Everyone's going to say you're going to fail, but use that as motivation. That sounds cliche, but yeah. Now it's the truth, man. I mean, because all the hay is the fuel to my fire, brother. It keeps me going, and I just, I just love it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, At man. one point, you know, even on social media, and I, and I think that right there can... Because I see a lot of the, you know, suicide rates go up due to cyberbullying and yeah. stuff like that. And if you feed into it, it will tear you down, you know? And, and it's like you just got to... Pretend it doesn't exist because it really doesn't. You know, you're fighting with the internet, and the internet's undefeated. So now that you realize that you can't win, then don't even indulge in it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just stay focused on the goal, and God will see you the rest of the way, man. So let the people know where they can follow you, where they can, you know, be a part of Holiday Swap as a consumer and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So James Asquith on uh, on Instagram, A S Q U I T H, and uh, I post just having a bit of fun on there. I don't tend to sell anything. The only thing that I put up is about Holly Swap and what we're doing there, but that's hopefully saving people money. So check them out as well. Check out Holly Swap on the app stores, website, hollyswap.com. But uh, yeah, I mean, most of what I do is, is pretty open. My, a lot of my life is up on uh, up on Instagram and uh, just having a, having a good time, trying to do things in the right way and uh, help where I can. Right. And you definitely helped me today and I want to thank you for that, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, because you don't know me from a hole in the wall, brother, but we met on Instagram really briefly and, you know, you contributed to my dream today. And that, I appreciate you. Buddy, that means a lot to me as well. Yeah? Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Likewise, man. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sleep is for Billionaires, the podcast. Make sure you get the new polo shirts, the dad hats. We just came out with them. So they are available. Just make sure you hit me in my DM. This is another episode of Sleep is for Billionaires, the podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Vegas. My man, James Asquith. Make sure you look up that holiday swap, see what it's all about. And listen, man, we live in the building. Them haters catching feelings, baby. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, man.